0: Um Fantastic to be together and worship together. Um, the passage we're looking at today is one that is um, perhaps you've heard before, um, but when I read it, I took a deep dive into all the kind of uh, the different commentaries on it, and it is an amazing passage and I think that all the times that I've read it previously have I've not done it justice in my thinking in in my place of understanding this passage. so I'm looking forward to looking at this passage together. But just a bit of a a recap on where we've come to. Uh, As a church, we were doing a bit of um, a sermon series from Easter, no, from Christmas all the way to Easter. We were following the life of Jesus, looking at how he encountered people, looking at his actions, looking at all the things um, that he did on this earth that we need to uh, take into account and place against our lives and see how we should live differently. So we're looking at that, looking exactly at how Jesus lived. And now we're going to be going into a season where we really look practically about what that means for us as Christians. There's, there's a, a baton passing that goes on uh, when Jesus, Jesus was here, his ministry was short, but he showed us a pattern of how to live. He showed us a pattern of, of what our character should look like. He showed us what God's character looks like and, and, and who he is, who it is that we're worshiping. But then uh, it's over to us as the church. His hope for the world is, is resting within us as the church. There's a, a quote that I love um, that says, I think, God's is something along the lines of, um, "God's hope for the world is in the local church." God's hope for the world is in the local church, not in what we do here on a Sunday, but in us, each of us, and how we engage with the world around us. That's where God's placed his hope for this generation, his hope for his kingdom being put forth in this world. And So, so we're the hope people. Perhaps turn to the next person next to uh, you and say, you are the hope of the world. Say that. Go on. A bit louder. And that might seem a bit of a, a grand... Um, statement, but actually we are the ones here in this community, we are the ones here that some, some of the people that you rub shoulders with, um, that you work with, family members, will never encounter another uh, Christian who's willing to share their faith. They might never ever have heard the gospel message. And we, uh, at least I speak for myself, I've benefited so much by, uh, by the church in what it's able to do in support, and what it's able to do in encouragement. But beyond that is uh, uh, that one time in my life, somebody shared with me the gospel message and it changed my life. And I received that, I responded to it, and I haven't turned back. So so that is the gift that we offer. That is why we are the hope of the world as a local church. So we're going to look at Ephesians. and um, And... Actually, sorry, backtrack one, one further. This, this is the second in a um, sermon that we're thinking about calling, thinking about calling, but we're going to get, as I said, really practical. We'll be thinking about how we live out this call effectively, how we're going to um, be the best uh, Christians that we can be, not in just being good people but in being like Christ in the places that we've been placed. So, so we're gonna be thinking about our calling. What were we called to? We're gonna be thinking about character. How does our shaping of our character, how do we grow in our likeness of Christ that we might be able to show who Jesus is. Our charismata, so these are all the C's so that we can remember, because uh, that's uh, the best way, apparently. Um, uh, charismata, which stands for uh, God's spirit. God's Spirit, His work within us, not just all the razzle dazzle things that He can do um, as we gather in, you know, tongues and tongues and prophecies and all that, but actually His changing work in who we are, His ability to give us uh, that we can love our neighbor and love our enemies. That, that is a miraculous thing in itself. So, we're thinking about the Spirit's empowerment, and then also about chemistry, our relationships speak loudly about who God is, if we're, if we're able to relate well with others um, within the church and outside the church, that says something about God's character that the world needs to know. So intro to Ephesians, we're not going to be going through Ephesians the whole time, but today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. and. Um, In Ephesians, Paul is writing a letter to uh, the the church in Ephesus and you can read about it in Acts. There's a lot that goes on there. It's an amazing story of of all the transformations that were going on in that place, which was uh, mainly Gentile. Um, But so, Paul's goal in writing the letter to the uh, Ephesians was to explain the amazing truths of the gospel message to make clear, to reiterate, to to kind of um, seal in the amazing truths of the gospel message. Then there's a break point right in the middle which says, therefore. So he spends the first half talking about why it's so amazing uh, what God has done for us. And the second half is, therefore, you are to go out. Therefore, you are to be. Therefore, these are the things that you should be um, acting like, if these, uh, if the if the first half is true, <clears throat> right. So I'm going to, and this passage itself, which is Ephesians chapter two, um, it it speaks um, in in similar ways. It it covers that same ground. We're going to look at first why it's so amazing, and then what we're to do about it. So let me read it out. And then I've got a little, um, a little, uh, what's the word? Not homework, because we're not at home. Challenge, yes, a little thing for us to do. Um, So uh, I'm going to read this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, it's coming up there. As for you, and we're just going to pause there. Um, As for you, I think it's very easy for us to uh, straight away just to think, as for you means somebody, the guy behind you, uh, the person in front of you, as for you. Okay, so everything else that you're about to hear is as for you. As for Jenny, as for Peter, as for Tishia, as for Toby, and everybody else, um, if you go in the front row, you get picked on. But um, as for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, So this is all of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming age we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's a lot there, um, and to and, um, so get us thinking practically, <clears throat> the, the the passage um, I'm, I'm going to get us thinking about is, is number 10. So, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a lot of, of knowledge um, there that it speaks about what God knows of and is involved in in our lives. Um, and so I'd love us to just think, we're here, sitting here um, this morning, it's 11.00. 28, uh, and um, I want you to tell the person next to you 11.28 11.28 tomorrow, or, I mean, tomorrow's a bank holiday so you might do something normal, no, different, uh, but y- y- if you do something on a normal Monday morning at 11.28, what would it be? Try and, try and think, and it might, it might be very hard for you to think, you might not be pinned down by a convention in such a way, um, but, but just share with the person next to you, what will you be doing this time tomorrow, or actually this time Tuesday, because we're probably all going to be um, having a lion uh, or something. Um, so this time tomorrow, or Tuesday, what will you be doing? Where will you be? What... Go. Can I get a person from each section just to shout out what they'll be doing? So I'm going to um, go right to right... Oh, I'm picking on this side now. So uh, this time tomorrow, somebody shout out what they're going to be doing. Or Tuesday. Little Moles on Tuesday, excellent. You're going to be cooking, um, so baking and helping at Little Moles, excellent. Back, back in the back corner there. Anybody willing to share? What, what are you going to be doing um, this time, Tuesday? Shout it out. Teaching, excellent. Okay, um, in in the somewhere on the wing, you know, we'll call that the West Wing. Uh what? What? What's, someone shout it out. Will, sorry. Conference call, excellent. Royal Albert Hall, singing, she's doing a solo. A leadership conference, excellent. Um, so we're all doing um, different things and um, and what... And they would be doing a maths test, yeah. oh yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, we're all allowed to do that. We all remember that. Um, So I would love for you to journey with me on this analogy. I want us to hold what we're going to be doing um, in the coming week. And uh, I I want us to to rethink the way we see our everyday life. That's my hope. That's my goal. That's also uh, what I think Paul was trying to do through this passage. He's trying to get people to think, okay, this is how you perceive your life. But this is how God sees it. And this is how we need to act in light of that. So follow me with this analogy, please, if that's all right, um, and just humour me. Um, our son uh, Judah is absolutely obsessed with World War Two planes. Absolutely obsessed. We, uh, uh, no joke. He has about twenty, twenty different books relating to uh, and magazines. We he uh, we we can talk about it all day. Um, And and if anybody is an aficionado um, in the house, uh, Judah would love to hear uh, what you have to say about World War II planes. So he's fascinated with the planes. I'm actually, uh, I kind of share his uh, fascination, not necessarily with the planes, but with World War II itself. I think it is just such a fascinating um, time in history. It's one that is Memorable for for many, um, whether they were a child or whether they have stories that their uh, family members have told of spending time uh, in wartime or or actually at the war itself. And I think for me, what is so striking is that it crystallized a whole movement within uh, Western Europe and eventually the world that meant that everything that was done, on the, from, the, from the top to the bottom, from um, right here on, on the streets of Molsey, all the way over to um, the, the depths of enemy lines, everything was focused on one purpose. In those wartime years, everything was brought in, into line with what they called the war effort. I think every, it is uh, unique in that way of focusing everybody's attention so, um, so strongly in that. Everyone played their part. You would have seen uh, posters all over the, the walls uh, that would encourage people how and how not to live so that you could uh, help with the war effort. People who did jobs that were in line with uh, the war effort would carry on, but they would have a new purpose. They would be thinking about their job in teaching, or singing at the Royal Albert Hall, or, or, um, or serving it on a conference call. All those would be seen through a different lens. They would understand it as something that needed to be um, helping with the war effort. If you didn't have a job that was um, was conducive, those things were repurposed. You know, factories which were normally building um, I don't know what, but some of them were repurposed for the focus of the war effort. And um, and so, whatever it was, people were thinking in those terms actually, there were 3 million people who served professionally in the armed forces. But at the time, there were 39 million uh, people living in the UK. All of them were called to play their part. All of them uh, were called to play their part in the war effort. So that is um, 93% of those who served the purposes of the war effort were like you and me. People just on the ground, living their lives in Molesy, but with a new purpose. With a new filter by which they understood their life's choices. If they were teaching, they carried on teaching, but with a new purpose. If they were running a company, they ran it, but with an understanding that they weren't just serving their own needs, but serving the economy that was helping in the war effort. Everyone knew they had a a part to play. And I love this passage and World War II fascinates me for so many reasons, but but this is one of them. Because I, I believe it's a picture of how God sees his church. I believe it's a picture of how God sees and desires for us to see the world around us. That we are a new creation. God has made us a new creation. He's given us a new purpose. And I'm going to go into that a little bit in a minute. But the language, so if we're thinking about Paul's uh, Ephesians, the, the, the letter to the Ephesians having two halves. One is about the wonder of what God is doing. And then our response. If we, if we think about that wonder first, we are a new creation, and I think that there's a lot of fancy language that, um, that can be used in the church that it can lose its poignancy, but the Greek word um, for one of the words that in our passage that it talks about us being a handiwork, and the Greek word uh, is uh, poima, um, and it's sometimes translated in a similar way and has been used in other places as a work of art. Uh, they use it for literature and poetry and all these things so it's not just something that is task driven but it's something that God loves cherishes and has made um, with a specific uh, purpose so you are a thing of wonder and I think you're a double thing of wonder because uh, the, this harkens back to God's creative um, creativity at, at the very outset but then we, here in the church, those who've responded to Jesus, are not just created in God's image, he's given us the, the, the honor and the, the responsibility of being his image bearers, but we have been recreated. So we have been recreated into Christ-likeness as well. So just as a little reminder, because I think this can wash over us, um, turn to the person next to you, please, if you will, and, and tell them that they're a double wonder. Is that double? You're double wonder is the sentence I'm looking for. <laughs> you are his masterpiece. And this is something... That I think Paul, it's it's hard for us to grasp because we hear it so much, um, all all these kind of things. But this is something that when you read all the commentaries on it, and you really read this passage slowly, and I'd encourage you to do that if you have time this week, Ephesians chapter two, if you read it slowly and take it line by line, Paul is marveling at this. He's just amazed. At what God would be willing to do with humanity. He's seen um, what it requires to bring us into that place. Paul was well versed in all um, the sacrificial system and understanding the, the cause uh, of, of death within that, the bloodshed that's required, all these things that we take for granted. We, um, but he was absolutely left in wonder at how we would be called into such a thing as we have been called into. So, we are a new creation. We are a double wonder. We are called to amazing things. And um, and this is a passage which, um, as a as a pro- an American Protestant, we we learn these off by rote because we were we were very nervous about good works and them getting us into heaven. We we're all and so um, w- verse eight to nine um, it says, "For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves." It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But what I didn't realize, actually, um, and I'd memorized that from a very young age, um, is um, that there is a verse 10, which is equally connected to the passage, but it's, it's left out because it, it talks about works in a positive way. And, uh, and so you don't want to... That's not very Protestant. Um, so so they, they were moving away from that. Um, but if you read verse 10... It says that that sense of wonder which we carry in God's willingness to use his grace on us in that way should not just end there. It shouldn't just end with us receiving from God, but it ends in us acknowledging that we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we've been created to do good works. Not only for that, we've been created in love, but one of the purposes he has for us is to do good works. And it goes on to say, which God has prepared for us in advance to do. And I'd love us um, to, to not let that wash over us, but to think about the amazing aspect of, of God knowing and preparing before us good works. Those things which we'll be doing at uh, 1128 on Tuesday. God being the creator of the universe aware of what we'll be doing. The creator of the universe interested in what we'll be doing. The creator of the universe wanting to have our character emulate him so that what we're doing is going to be a a fair um, image of who he is. This language which Paul's using is, um, it harkens back to the, the first chapter of his uh, letter to the Ephesians, which says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So before the creation of the world, God had in mind our recreation, he had in mind our good works, the things that he would call us to walk into. So you're not just a double creative wonder, but you have a purpose. You have a purpose which is not just discerned through some online um, skills test, which I'm not against those at all, and we'll probably be doing those um, in in the next uh, weeks, but that's not the purpose which you have. You have a vocation, you have a mission, Nothing short of a mission from God. Like, Anybody seen the Blues Brothers? Come on. Um, the, if you haven't, then the rest of you who's not put your hands up, you have to. Um, and uh, and he's, he's, he keeps saying, I'm on a mission from God. Um, he does all sorts of dubious things that probably don't, aren't in line. But you are on a mission from God. God has called you and set you aside for that mission before the creation of the universe. So I'd love us to, um, actually, I'm, I'm just in the mood for you guys talking to each other, so can you tell the person next to you, again, thank you, um, you're on a mission, please. Tell, tell that person you're on a mission. I'd love us to um, circle back now to the wor- war effort, and I'd love us to think about um, that, that purpose, uh, we're thinking about the purpose that people had. Those, those who understood their role within the, the, kind of the bigger picture were able to not just live as a teacher, but to live as a teacher with a purpose. Not that t- teaching has a huge purpose in its own right, but actually it has an amazing purpose when it's put towards God's use. God is mobilizing, I think, and has been, ever since Jesus came, a new wave of, of um, anim- well, he wants to animate us in being like Jesus. God's mobilizing us towards a common purpose, a common mission, a common goal, which is even more important than that of World War II. It's hard to imagine it in that way, and I think the hardest thing for me as a Christian, actually, is to be able to, recognize the truths of God's word and live as if they're true. That is probably the hardest thing that I experience as a Christian. To recognize that God says our, our worth is eternal. The, the conversations we have have eternal value. The things that we do for others have an impact not just on this world but on the next. God is trying to create a kingdom here. With eternal value. There's, um, I think I've got the quote here somewhere, but um, from the Screw Tape Letters, uh, if you've not read that, that's a good one to read as well. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote the Screw Tape Letters, and that was all about um, one minor demon getting um, co- coaching from a, a major demon, getting um, getting some good advice from him on how to destroy uh, the Christian faith and he said a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and it's more amusing is what they said and and this is our challenge I think this is our challenge living in the West we don't have around us posters constantly telling us to to close our curtains at night um, because the bombers might see you and there's a there's the war effort is not at our, uh, right in front of our faces. We're not hearing the the bombers go over and reminding us that what we're doing on the ground has an impact over um, somewhere else. But if we believe what the Bible says, then that battle, that reality, uh, is as true as the war was. Your life has eternal significance. In Colossians, another letter from Paul, um, he says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Has anyone seen um, the film Up? Anyone? Yes, excellent. My favourite character uh, is um, is Doug the dog, who, if you've not seen it, he has this amazing. Um, Contraption, which helps you to hear what he's thinking and saying, but you you hear what he is thinking and saying, um, and uh, so so he ha- he starts saying these amazing things, and then all of a sudden, because he's still a dog, he's, but you get to hear his thoughts. Um, he's he's got it goes into this amazing um, sentence of uh, profound thoughts and things, and then and then all of a sudden he says squirrel, because um, and I feel like this is my life. Um, is I, I have all this, uh, all this knowledge of who God is. All scripture is, is just impressing this upon me all the time. But the distractions are so real and so strong. I'd love for us as a church to be able to to grow in our ability to live, um, uh, the, the the college I went um, that we studied at um, for the theological training, it just came to mind. But to live like the kingdoms near, that was that was the expression, that was the tagline or whatever. And I'd love for us to live like the kingdoms near. Jesus was asked by Pilate, wasn't he? When he said, um, "So you're a king?" He said, "Yes, I'm a king." But I'm not a king like you think I would be. I'm not a king. My kingdom is not here. The things I'm living for are not here. But boy, isn't it hard uh, to live in that way? To think of uh, the eternal purposes rather than just the busyness of life. So I think I'm going to end. I'm going to end there. But I'd love for us to grow in our ability to to wonder at what God's doing in our lives, in and through the work of Jesus on the cross, and then to respond to, to that by living our lives with purpose. To live our lives on a mission. To recognize that you are a double wonder and to be able to usher people into that. To recognize the mission that God's called each and every one of us to. Not just to know the truth, but to live the truth out in our everyday lives. And actually, let me just can I just share one um, brief example that somebody shared with me last week. They, um, so just to make it, uh, this example, um, just to make all this feel a little bit more um, closer to home. So a friend of mine was coming back on a plane. A friend of his uh, said to him, um, because the, the pre- plane was delayed and they had to stay over, and it was um, it was all just quite annoying for everybody. Um, and so, he, but that friend said to him, "What? Let's just think. Oh, I wonder what God's purpose is in all this." And he thought, "Oh, that's rubbish! It's just um, you know, it's just bad, um, bad. Um, well, somebody's on strike, probably. I don't know what what the problem was." Um, but uh, so but then later felt convicted um, and, and thought, okay, God, what is your purpose? Sure enough, he was then sat next to um, a family that he evangelized basically the whole time on his way back. And they are now he is meeting with them regularly and inviting them to church. And there's this amazing uh, testimony of that, um, that one incident of just sitting next to somebody on a plane and being willing to be used by God in that way. He since um, said that, uh, actually, he prays that now as he goes out. He said, God, what do you have? I mean, sometimes you need a bit of a jolt. And he felt convicted by that that kind of lack of faith. And now he looks and says, Lord, as I go out this morning, as I go to Tesco's, as I go wherever, Lord, what purpose do you have? Who might be in my path that I might be able to speak to you about? Or even just encourage or just smile at. So that's what I'd love to, for us to kind of see and filter our uh, our lives through now, and so perhaps just as a, as a sign we do this, we do this all the time, but uh, but I, I think every every week is a recommissioning isn't it because we're going from here where it's nice and safe and cozy, and we can all talk about Jesus, we can talk about um, eternal things, and people don't look at us weird. But we're going out into a world that doesn't respond necessarily that way, and we are called to make a difference. So let's stand, let's recommission ourselves in that purpose, that purpose of going out from here. I think we'll be um, responding in worship as well in just a minute. Um,